I'm honored to table the following documents before this House. The 2022 Division of Revenue Amendment Bill, the 2022 Adjustment Appropriation Bill, the Special Appropriation Bill, the 2022 Rates and Monetary Amounts and Amendments of Revenue Laws Bill, the 2022 Taxation Laws Amendment Bill, the 2022 Tax Administration Laws Amendment Bill, the Revised Fiscal Framework, the 2022 Adjusted Estimate of National Expenditure, the 2022 Medium-Term Budget Policy Statement. Madam Speaker, the strategic goal of this government is to reduce poverty, inequality, unemployment in pursuit of better life for all. It was former President Nelson Mandela who reminded us that, and I quote, democracy will have little content and indeed will be short-lived if we cannot address our socio-economic problems within an expanded and growing economy. South Africa is Safra's economy has underperformed for many years. Several long-standing structural impediments continue to hamper, hamper growth. These include unreliable electricity supply, costly and inefficient ports and rail networks, crime and corruption, weak state capacity, and high levels of material concentration and barriers to entry that suppress the emergence and growth of small business. These challenges undermine our efforts to create jobs contributing to high levels of poverty and inequality. Our structural challenges have been exacerbated by new ones, <coughs> including global economic slowdown, high energy and food prices, the destruction caused by natural disasters such as the recent floods. The 2022 medium-term budget policy statement aims to address the needs of South Africans and secure our future stability and prosperity. It provides for spending adjustment to continue rebuilding lives and infrastructure following devastating flight damages earlier this year. It restores fiscal strength and rebuilds fiscal space despite the unfavorable economic backdrop. It enhances the quality of public service such as education and health. It also prioritizes the safety and security of our people and invests in future growth by increasing funding for critical infrastructure. Madam Speaker, let me now turn the economic outlook. Many of the risks we outlined in the February 2022 budget speech have materialized. Globally, these include rising inflation, tightening financial conditions, and the ongoing effect of COVID-19, including more stringent lockdown in China and their, and their impact on global demand and supply chains. These were made worse by the outbreak of the Russian Ukraine conflict. As a result, the IMF global growth forecast for 2022 has been revised downward from 4.4% to 3.2%, and the 2023 estimate from 
3.8% to 2.7%. This means that the global environment will be less supportive of our growth than we anticipated at the time of the budget. The outlook contains many risks, notably further slowing global growth and high inflation and the Russian Ukraine conflict. There is also a possibility of energy rationing in Europe that will impact on global energy prices and output. A further decline in Chinese economic growth could slow global demand and add pressure to global supply chains, while the tightening of monetary policy could slow global output even further. These are significant risks in the global environment. In this context, small open economies like ours need to be especially careful and have, and have solid fiscal buffers in place to wither the coming storms. Domestically, the robust pace of economic recovery in early 22 was derailed by floods in various parts of the economy, particularly KwaZulu-Natal and the Eastern Cape. Industrial action in key sectors and widespread power cuts. We now expect really GDP growth to 1.9% in 2022 compared with an estimated 2.1% in February. Over the next two years, the economy is expected to grow at an average of 1.6%. This level of growth is too low to support our developmental goals. Accordingly, we must take action to put our economy on a higher growth target. Our approach to growth is based on clear and stable macroeconomic framework, complemented by the implementation of structural reforms to improve competitiveness, industrial policy to boost manufacturing, and measures to strengthen the capacity of the state. Key elements of our macroeconomic sector are stable and flexible exchange rate, low and stable inflation, and sustainable fiscal policy. Since the budget in February, we have accelerated the implementation of structural reforms to address binding constraints on economic growth and support investment and job creation. Madam Speaker, the intensity of load shedding is having a disastrous effect on our economy. We have therefore focused on our, our, our efforts on reforms in, the, in, the, in this sector, in the electricity sector. Several policies is aimed at creating a competitive energy market are also underway. These include the removal of the licensing threshold for embedded generation projects, where the pipeline has grown to 100 projects, representing over 9,000 megawatts of capacity. The Electricity Regulation Amendment Bill has been finalized. It provides for the establishment of an independent transmission and a systems operator, which will fundamentally transform the electricity sector. Reducing South Africa's reliance on a simply monopoly utility and unlocking massive new private sector investment in generation capacity will contribute significantly to long-term energy security. Madam Speaker, there is a crisis in our logistics sector. Inefficiencies in port, and rail are costing the economy billions and further undermine our efforts to raise growth. We welcome the end of the strike, a Transnet strike, and are working with Transnet leadership and all stakeholders 
to urgently address the challenges in the sector. Several steps are being taken to introduce greater competition and efficiency in, into ports and railways. The National Assembly has passed the Economic Regulation of Transport Bill. It will establish independent transport regulator to encourage greater competition and enable regulated access to the network. In addition, requests for proposal have been issued for third-party access to the freight rail network and private sector participation for the Durban Port Pier 2 and Nuha Kondiana terminals. In the telecommunications sector, the auction of high-value broadband spectrum has been completed. The next step is to complete digital migration to release frequency. The Minister of Communication and Digital Technologies will shortly indicate a new date for analog switch-off. In the water sector, we have accelerated the backlog of water use licenses. The process to establish a water regulator through the National Water Resource Infrastructure Agency Bill is also on track. This agency will enable effective management of bulk water infrastructure and facilitate private sector investment. The review of the work of the work visa system has been completed with recommendations to attract skills and investment. Honourable members, these reforms are not the totality of our reform agenda. More must and can be done to unleash dynamism of, of our economy. Key to this is the need for a capable developmental state. Madam Speaker, a strong and capable state is a necessary precondition for growth. The state is responsible for creating and maintaining an enabling environment for growth and investment. It provides basic services and promotes the rule of law. To do this effectively, the state needs to be responsive to societal needs, prioritize, sequence, and coordinate interventions through institutions that are accountable and capable. Leveraging fixed investment is a critical part of our achieving sustainable and inclusive growth. It supports economic recovery, raises the economic potential, and creates jobs. We have seen gross fixed capital formation contract on average by 4.4% annually between 2016 and 2020, from a peak of 796 billion in 2025. The contraction has been broad-based. Private sector investment, which accounts for nearly two-thirds of total fixed investment, as well as the public sector, have both declined. We seek to reverse these trends by, take, by tackling impediments to investment. In the private sector, policy uncertainty constraints to the ease of doing business, along with the high cost of doing business, are often cited as key constraints to investment. Our clear and stable macroeconomic framework Progress on structural progress on structural transformation supporting enabling growth will go a long way to removing impediments to investment. They will also boost confidence and create an enabling environment for the private sector to invest. With respect to public sector investment, state-owned enterprises have an important role to play in the provision of critical economic goods and services in the economy. 
Addressing this supply constraint, particularly in the energy and transport sector, sectors, is critical to support higher and sustainable economic growth. On general government, we are increasing on-budget infrastructure allocations to remedy the erosions of baselines. Over the medium term, government consolidated spending on building uh, new and rehabilitating existing infrastructure will increase from 66.7 billion in 2022-23 to 112.5 billion in 2025-26. This includes roads, bridges, stormwater system, and public buildings. This makes spending on capital assets by the uh, the fastest growing item by economic classification. By delivering on public sector investment, will crowd in private sector investment, improve public se service provision, and address petros, thus ignite a vicious cycle of high investment, growth, and employment potential. We are also committed to improving state capacity, project planning, preparation, procurement practices, and contract management. This will address the understanding of allocated infrastructure budgets, improve value for money and the efficacy of our investment. Madam Speaker, climate change is reshaping the world around us, including our economic context. It poses physical risk to our people, infrastructure, the environment, and production of, including the critical goods such as food. The global response to climate must be coordinated. For our part, we are finalizing negotiations on the pledges by the International Partner Group for the Just Energy Transition. In addition, the investment plan supporting our energy transition were recently endorsed by Cabinet. We'll take, we will take all necessary steps to ensure that our transition is just. Madam Speaker, when government finances are settled with debt, it becomes very difficult to meet our developmental objectives. For nearly 15 years, the South African government has been tabling higher deficits. As a result, government debt is projected to be more than 4.7 trillion in our current financial year, compared to 627 billion in the year 2008-2009. This debt is incurring debt service cost that will average 354 billion per year over the medium term expenditure framework. As already outlined, the global economy is slowing, inflation is, slowing, inflation is increasing, financial markets are becoming more volatile. The result is that the debt service costs are estimated to be 5.9 billion higher in 2020. Uh, 2223 than it was thought at the time of the February budget. Moreover, the possibility of a major price correction in financial markets is a significant risk. This will affect fiscal revenues going forward. It is for this reason that the medium-term strategy needs to maintain a prudent approach to fiscal policy. We need to decrease our debt burden and debt service costs by reducing our annual deficit. 
This will stabilize public finances and reduce the fiscal risk. Honourable members, we are making progress in this regard. A consolidated fiscal deficit of 4.9% of GDP is projected in 2022-2023. This will decline to 3.2% of GDP by 2025-2026. A primary fiscal surplus of 0.7% of GDP will be achieved in 2023-24. This is one year earlier than projected at the 2021 medium-term budget policy statement. We also now expect gross government debt to stabilize at 71.4% of GDP in 2022-23. Two years earlier and at a lower level than projected in the 2022 budget review. Among other things, this, this means that we are proposing that no budget reduction are implemented in the 2023 budget. In fact, consolidated government spending will exceed 2.2 trillion this year and will rise to 2.5 trillion in 25-26. Turning to revenue, since the 2022 budget, revenue collection has exceeded projections and the gross tax tax revenue estimate for 2022-23 has been revised up by 83.5 billion to 1.68 trillion. The higher estimate is largely due to improvements in the corporate income tax collections with strong receipts from the finance and manufacturing sectors. This is better than expected revenue collection estimates, including over the medium term have allowed us government, have allowed government to narrow the deficit and mitigate li, uh, lingering a new risk. Equally, it allows us to gradually restore the baseline budgets of departments key to the delivery of services without making unaffordable permanent commitments. A portion of higher than anticipated revenue will be utilized as follows. First, reduce the deficit in the current financial year and over the MTF, make additions for infrastructure projects, critical public services such as education, health and policing, addressing fiscal risk that were previously identified in February. These include higher than projected debt service costs, the public service wage bill, and the materialization of financial risk from some state-owned companies. Should any of the fiscal risks materialize, this could negatively affect the fiscal position and government's efforts to stabilize the public finances. Madam Speaker, we are allocating a net addition of 13 billion in spending adjustment for this 2022-23 financial year in the adjustment appropriation bill. The largest adjustment of that 13 billion is 6.3 billion, which is equal to 49% of the total, is allocated towards this disaster relief, especially the, the April flooding in several parts of the country. Other adjustments in, adjustment in the adjustment appropriation include 308 million for 20, 24 rural bridges through a program called Willis's Rural Bridges. I must explain, this, is applicable, this amount is for only for in-year. For the next 
outer years were mail penciling in for all provinces. This will cover only two provinces which are ready with their bridges, that is Eastern Cape and Limpopo. 500 million rand is also set aside to kick off the Home Affairs Digitization Program that will employ 10,000 young people over three years. 118 million is to deal with an interim allocation cost to prepare for the rebuilding of parliament. I think I'm, I need to explain that because there are two amounts included in that. The first amount relates to how much parliament, parliament is, I'm going to make the figure at the, tail, at the end, how much parliament will, how much it will cost parliament to, re, to rebuild it. And then how much between now and March can be allocated towards rebuilding parliament. That amount is, 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 uh, is penciled in. The second amount in that 118 is an amount that says, in between as a result of, of, of the fire, Parliament has had incurred additional costs it has not factored in, including offices, including, including this address today was not budgeted to be outside, it was budgeted to be in Parliament, not to be here. So Parliament is facing extra cost by being here. So you've got two amounts to, to get the technical work for the rebuilding. Secondly, for what is called unavoidable and unforeseen for Parliament. Honourable members, during the, foreign, the current financial year, wage negotiations have been taking place at the Public Service Coordinating Bargaining Council on the 30th of August, 2022. Government made a final offer which emanated from a facilitated process. Underline that. From a facilitated process, and a tentative agreement was reached and was tabled before the, budget, the bargaining council. All parties undertook to go and seek mandates. As a, then the unions came back and said they do not have a mandate. But it must be understood that there was a tentative agreement uh, facilitated. This offer includes the continuation of non-pensionable cash allowance for the current financial. This translates into an average of 1,000 per employee per month until March 2023. It also translates that cash control into 4.5% for the wage bill and another pensionable salary increase of 3% for public servants. That together in total comes to 27.5%. Uh, <clears throat> Madam Speaker, the offer on the table is the best interest of the fiscals and public service workers. Implementing it does not undermine the collective bargaining process. We believe that the facilitation, uh, the facilitation process has helped all parties get to this point. Therefore, the spending estimates we are tabling today include this amount. This offer will be implemented through the payroll system and bed dated to April 2022. Honourable members, our budget over the next three years is focused on restoring service delivery and laying the foundations for a higher growth. Medium changes to spending plans are driven mainly by government's decision to extend the special COVID-19 social relief distress grant 
by one year until 31 March 2024. The fiscal framework also includes funding for cadre to courts of the 2022-2023 public, public service increases as well, as well as for safety and security, infrastructure investment and service delivery. The SRD grant was introduced in May 2022 as a temporary measure to respond to the needs of the most vulnerable who were affected by lockdown measure. It has been extended several times since then. Discussion on the future of the grant are ongoing and involve very consolidated expended government spending is projected to increase to 2.21 trillion in 2020-23 2.48 in 25-26 at an average growth of 4%. The social wage totaling 3.56 trillion over the next three years, or put differently, 59.2% of the consolidated non-interest spending will take up the biggest share of the budget in support of poor households and the most vulnerable in our society. The largest allocations are directed to the education, health, and social development sectors. Moreover, over the next three years, spending increases will, prior, will be prioritized to improve investment in infrastructure and boost the budget for safety, security, and fighting corruption. Overall, government's consolidated capital spending will increase from 95.1 billion in 22-23 245 billion in 25-26. This excludes spending on state-owned enterprises. We are working closely with the presiding officer of parliament, officers of parliament to restore and rebuild parliament. Over the medium-term expenditure framework, we have made allowances for approximately 2 billion for rebuilding of parliament. Madam Speaker, over the next years, we will work with provinces and municipalities to make meaningful progress in achieving our developmental goals. Municipalities shape the living conditions of our people. They ensure that people have access to cleaning, drinking water, energy, housing, and sanitation. Yet several municipalities are dysfunctional, experiencing either financial or leadership crisis. Reflected in a general inability to deliver services. Following a diagnostic review of the local government capacity building system, the National Treasury is coordinating with key stakeholders, including the Department of Cooperative Governance, Salga, and provinces in the design of capacity building systems towards a more integrated and outcome-focused approach. Over the next three years, we propose a location of 8.4 of available non-interest spending to national departments, 41.4% to provinces, and 10.1% to local government. This will allow provinces to support basic education and health services, roads, housing, social development, and agriculture. We're also allocating additional funds to, to local government to support the delivery of free basic services to poor households. Considering the rise of cost of the free basic service, as well as the rising bulk electricity and water costs, the 2023 budget review will provide more detail 
on these efforts. Madam Speaker, some of the state-owned companies represent critical components of our economic activity, especially in transport, engineering, and energy. These companies should be self-sufficient and must contribute to economic growth. Unfortunately, we face a situation where financial weaknesses caused in previous years by bad leadership and corruption still need to be resolved. Moreover, when unavoidable events such as the recent floods destroy infrastructure and assets, it puts the whole economy at risk. In the meantime, the road network must function, ports must operate, and critical technical projects cannot be halted. So, as, as balance sheets are being restored, and these and those who look, looted and mismanaged them are being held accountable, including through the criminal justice system. We have little choice but to act to keep these key-in services running. We are proposing to use higher than anticipated revenues in the current year to reduce risk from specific SOEs. These resources cannot be used to fund baseline increases as they are once off. Using them in this way will also not expand the fiscal deficit compared to our existing medium-term plans. The financial support to SOEs recognizes their potential to contribute to our long-term growth prospects. We are thus tabling a special appropriation bill to provide additional funding to Denel, Transnet, and Sandra. These allocations will allow these entities to adjust their business mod models and restore their long-term financial viability. Fiscal support to state-owned companies remains a challenging balancing act given the many competing priorities and limited resources. Funding to SOEs will now come with strict pre- and post-conditions. Pre-conditions mean that SOEs will need to comply with these conditions before they receive government support, and, and, and not after. Non-compliance to conditions means no funding. Transnet is allocated 2.9 billion to ensure the return of out-of-service locomotives. This will be complemented by 2.9 billion from in-year spending adjustment to deal with flood damage that affected its operations in Etegwini. Denel is allocated 3.4 billion to support recent progress made to stabilize the entity. This allocation will be augmented by 1.8 billion in sale of non-core assets and will unlock committed order book of 12 billion awaiting execution. Honorable members, the uncertainty surrounding the Houghton Improvement Project continues to have a major negative implication for road construction in the country. We need to move on from the debates of previous years and find solution to this challenge. To resolve this funding impasse, the government uh, the Houghton Provincial Government has agreed to contribute 30% to settling Sandra's debt and interest obligations, while national government covers 70% of this. Government will also, Houghton will also cover the cost of maintaining 201 kilometers and, and associated... <laughs>
<laughs> with the 201 kilometers and associated interchanges of the roads and any additional investment uh, in road will be funded through their existing electronic toll infrastructure or new toll plaza or any other revenue source with the, their area, within their area of responsibility. Let me just explain this because it became, okay, before that, let me do this. Government proposes to make an initial allocation of 23.7 billion from the national fiscus, which will be dispersed on strict conditions. Let me that then explain because there was something which, when I address the media, let me explain this thing. For seven years, we've been battling with Italian Howard. And for all the political wrangling, it has had an impact on the balance sheet of Sandra. What is the implication? Now, Sandra is due to, is, can default any time. So we've agreed with Howden. Howden, take your, tour, your roads. We will take the debt, a better portion of it, but you'll contribute 30% of it. From then, Tina is national Moving forward, if you decide to, sell, to maintain the roads, you as Houghton, you can either toll to get the, it, the, the maintenance or you can, from your end revenue, do something about that. So, save value it all from today in that sense. There are implications. There are implications. What are those implications? How then is still it going to do phase two of this project? It's going to be important that in doing phase two, proper planning and thinking on how to find phase two must take place. That's one of the implications we must have. It also has got implication on the user pay principle. Turning to ESCOM, for at least a decade, this program will allow ESCOM to focus on plant performance and capital investment and ensure that it no longer relies on permanent bailouts. Importantly, the program will include strict conditions required of ESCOM and other stakeholders before and during the debt transfer. These conditions will address ESCOM's structural challenges by managing the cost addressing, addressing, by managing the cost addressing the municipal and household debt due to, due to the utility and providing clear clarity on transparency and in tariff, and tariff pricing. In addition, the conditions will be informed by Treasury-led independent review of ESCOM operations, in particular, the performance of its fleet. In other words, if I want to explain this thing, for us to be able to say to ESCOM, these are the outcomes we require as we change it, that we need from ourselves to be informed. In that regard, we have said we want an independent review of people who are going to assist us to analyze what is happening in ESCOM so that we should be able to attach conditions which are appropriate. 
Further details of this program will be finalized following consultation with all relevant stakeholders and lenders and will be announced in the 2023 budget. Madam Speaker, I must say, um, we made a commitment in the budget that will provide more detail, including the quantum on this, on this ESCOM. However, dealing with financial individuals is quite a complicated issue, President. E-lenders are quite a, a difficult crowd to deal with. In the process of doing all of this thing, trying to find out what the quantum should be, uh, we've got to negotiate with the lenders. There are legal implications and so on and so on. That, uh, but we're still committed to make our decision within the financial year because we, in, in February we said within the financial year. We didn't say by the medium term. So we we'll still make that commitment by the financial aid in terms of even the quantum. We are also adopting best practices in the procurement of goods and services, including the highest standard of transparency in the tendering process. Such modernization aims to simplify and speed up the process of public infrastructure projects while reducing the scope of looting and corruption. Here the issue is Dr. Ramkopa tells us that the underspending on infrastructure per annum is 43 billion. And largely of that relates to skills issue, corruption, regulatory framework which is problematic. Tight regulatory framework. I was addressing a meeting uh, somewhere, somebody raised their hand and said, when are you going to stop Regulation 16, which is frustrating, triple P's? I didn't know about Regulation 16. I went back to the office to check what Regulation 16 does. It turns out it also makes people to, it, it triple P's to take over a three-year period. So those minor things need to be removed from the system in order to make sure that procurement can be effective. We expect to introduce the public procurement bill which will enhance transparency, integrity, and promoting the use of technology for efficiency and effectiveness in the public procurement to Parliament by March 2023. Uh, Honorable Maswang, I will bear with us. The, the government, when, to, in South Africa, there's a democratic process. The consultation process is beyond us. Just NEDLEC alone, I don't know how many months it took us in NEDLEC but we're still committed to do it within this fiscal year. The new preferential procurement regulations of 2022, replacing the now invalid regulations of 2017, will be promulgated in November 2022 to be effective from the 16th of January 2023. The regulations empower organs of the state with the authority to determine their own preferential procurement policies within the ambit of the preferential procurement Policy Framework Act. I must add, yes, the Constitution of the Republic of South Africa says the best, it is the organ of state that procures. It's the organ, every organ of state must have its own procurement policy, uh, not be getting permission now and again from Treasury. So, we're giving you that, uh, that authority, each organ of the state to be able to have its own procurement policies. 
No one will then say, if I don't deliver on time on my project, I'm delayed by treasure. Madam Speaker, earlier this week, President Ramaphosa announced government's response to the recommendations of the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture. It committed government to a new chapter in our struggle against corruption to advance the renewal of our society. It noted the need for the state to be ethical and free of corruption as it serves the needs and interests of the people. As noted by the Commission, to enable service delivery, we should protect honest accounting officers and authorities who make decisions in good faith from criminal prosecution and civil litigation. In this regard, we'll strengthen the audit, auditing and, prevent, and preventive control of systems to enable managers to manage while putting mechanisms to hold them accountable. The Commission of Inquiry into the State Capture made recommendations aimed at strengthening the institutional governance and accountability mechanism. As has been done with Bain, we'll continue to take punitive administrative action against companies and individuals who have actively facilitated corruption and irregular activities. Madam Speaker, crime is, is a safe economic as well as a social issue. A safe environment is important for full participation in economic and social life. This making fi makes fighting crime a key pillar of enhancing economic growth. Many South Africans' lives live in fear in their homes in their places of work and in places of recreation. In response, we are allocating additional resources to our security forces to take the fight to those that threaten peace, our peace as a nation. We'll support the police to recruit an additional 15,000 constables over the next three years. This is in addition to the current 10,000 they are recruiting this year. Honourable members, we are doing everything necessary to prevent grey listing by the Financial Action Task Force, the international standard setting body that oversees global compliance with anti-money laundering rules. Already we have tabled two bills in Parliament aimed at addressing weaknesses in our legislative framework. The bills are expected to be enabled to be enacted by the end of this year. This will be a significant step towards meeting the 40 recommendations made by the Financial Action Task Force. We are also required to implement laws on anti-money laundering and corruption more effectively. Investing in building the capacity of our regulatory and enforcement institution is already bearing positive results. These include the investigating Directorate of the National Prosecuting Authority has enrolled 26 cases, de uh, declared 89 investigations, and 165 accused per persons have appeared in, in court for alleged state capture-related offenses. The Asset Forfeiture Unity has frozen or granted preservation orders to the value of 12.9 billion rand and returned a total of 2.9 belong to the, to the affected entities. The SIU has instituted four high court cases in relation to, contrast, to contracts worth 62.1 billion. And SARS investigations arising from the Commission's findings 
and, ev- and evidence have resulted in collection of 4.8 billion in unpaid taxes. SARS is currently engaged in 18 projects involving 222 cases. 11 of those cases are recommendation, recommendations explicitly for SARS to execute, and eight have been finalized and, the other, and others are under investigation. The 2022 medium temperature policy statement proposes additional resources to the budgets of the National Prosecuting Authority, the Special Investigation Unit, the Financial Intelligence Center, and the South African Revenue Services to further improve the capability of the state to investigate and prosecute sophisticated financial crimes. In addition, government will also publish a revised national risk assessment strategy on anti-money laundering and terror financing. Madam Speaker, let me conclude by reiterating what I said in the beginning of our democratic ideas. We'll be given life and sustained by growing and inclusive economy. We cannot ignore the relation between democracy and the economy and the relation between politics and inequality. We are fortunate to have a legal and policy framework backed by political vision that allows us to transform the economic conditions of our people and deliver on the promise of democracy. The medium-term budget policy statement reminds us of the urgent need to pursue the reform of our economy in our consistent manner and with the freedom of our people in mind. We should not take lightly the link that former President Nelson Mandela made and other leaders that drew between thriving economy and a fair and just society. This is the golden thread that this runs through our constitution. And in this medium-term budget policy statement, we should keep sight of this goal and the balancing act it entails as we do our work.